Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rail Group on Air, presented by Railway Age and Railway Track and Structures magazines and International Railway Journal. I'm your host, Bill Wilson, Editor-in-Chief of RTNS Magazine, and welcome to another podcast. This is Rail Group on Air. The reality show frontier. The state has been peppered with reality shows for years now. It provides the perfect backdrop. Dark, cold, rugged. Well, there is one show producers have missed. I'll call it Life on the White Pass in Yukon. Hello everyone, this is Bill Wilson, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Track and Structures magazine. The White Pass and Yukon Route Railroad Project is a railway track and structures top project in 2020. And a day in the life of workers on the project was anything but ordinary. The project consisted of two miles of new track, forming a loop that makes it easier for passenger trains, full of tourists, to return to the station. Before the loop, trains would have to engage in a series of maneuvers to return home. Sometimes there would be as many as four trains trying to do the trick simultaneously, and the trick could take up to 45 minutes to execute. Innovation was necessary on this project. A narrow-gauge welded rail train was developed so they could deliver rail to the job site. Construction took place between September 2018 and April 2019. Snow accumulations were less than average, but the wind and drifting were intense and sometimes temperatures would dip to a minus 35 degrees Fahrenheit. At one point, the crew was stuck on the job site for four days due to whiteout conditions. I had the chance to talk to Mark Taylor, who is the superintendent of operations at White Pass and Yukon Route Railroad. Let's just say the interview was quite fascinating. It definitely would have been must-see TV. So here's my interview with Mark Taylor. I know it's probably opening up a huge can of worms, but can you just kind of describe what this project entailed, um, you know, just kind of in in general? Sure. It it essentially evolved um, two miles of new track and grade in the middle of nowhere with no road access right across the border from Alaska in uh, um, British Columbia. And it's high alpine. There's very little vegetation. It's all hard rock construction surrounded by some um, high alpine lakes. So what was really the need for this project then? I mean, it's just you're, you're just installing new track for what purpose, essentially? Uh, well, um, the majority of our passenger traffic stops at the summit um, where our passing track is at the siding. And the trains would stop, uncouple, the power would run around, and it added a significant amount of time and delay. And as our traffic and schedule picked up, sometimes we would have four trains trying to simultaneously do this maneuver. And the dwell time was 15 to 45 minutes. So we were trying to find a way to expedite that. And, of course, passengers don't like being stopped. So we wanted to, we're always looking for ways to improve the passenger experience. 
and the concept of the loop, which has been talked about for quite some time, but never in earnest until a couple of years ago. But we determined that the loop was not only safer, but it provided a better pasture experience and it reduced the dwell time. And when it all played out, we were actually able to increase our traffic schedule, increase our capacity, and um, increase our equipment utilization. So it was a tremendous benefit to um, the company's operational. How many, so how many passengers do you guys deal with a year, roughly? Yeah, we're, you know, we're strictly a seasonal passenger operation, and we move 550,000 passengers in a five-month season. Okay, and what, what, what month is that? Or is that? Uh, largely May through September. Okay. So uh, on your nomination form here, it said that um, emergency maintenance issues occasionally were required. Can you maybe talk about what the typical emergency maintenance issue was? Because apparently... A uh, mechanic had to be brought in by helicopter to address these issues. Is, is this like is this equipment maintenance for the most part, or is this other maintenance? Uh, that, it was equipment maintenance. It's a really remote site, and it's 20 miles from a small rural town in Skagway, Alaska, and um, 80 miles from Whitehorse, Yukon. And so the only access was by rail and by helicopter. So uh, we had a camp there, construction camp on site. And to expedite operations um, and construction schedule, we would fly mechanics in, parts in um, by air if rail access was impeded because of weather or avalanche hazards or whatnot. Okay, so was that primarily then wintertime? The the majority, yeah, construction started in September and it proceeded. Um, the grade and the abatement was done in December, and then we were back in there in um, April, um, laying ballast and track. Okay. Uh, you want to talk about the grading and embankment that was done? What, what can you describe that work that was done? Sure. It, uh, it was about thirty thousand cubic meters of excava- of drilling, blasting, and excavation. And I should say that uh, the project was designed, engineered, and permitted all in-house by White Pass personnel. It was surveyed by um, Pacific Contract Company at Skagway, and then we had a local general contractor, Cobalt Construction from Whitehorse, do all of the drilling and blasting. And then the track construction itself was done all by uh, White Pass uh, Section Maintenance Away Forces. So how long, about how long did it take to grade and embank, do the embankment, uh, do the de- uh, demolition? How long did that take about? Mm-hmm. Uh, it started in September of 2018, and it was ready for service the end of April 2019. Okay. And that that's when you started to lay the track down, or you, you laid, it was ready for service for passenger service in April 2019? Correct. So when, how, how long did it take before you were able to bring the ballast in and then lay down the rail? Uh, actually, as part of the uh, grading and embankment, um, they produced ballast force on site. Okay. So they, they, actually delivered a, they actually delivered a rock crusher by rail, and we set up a plant there that created uh, the bedding material and the um, specification ballast force. Okay, so... Right, right. Yeah, so the ballast was right there on site. How did they get the rail up there then? Uh, we actually um, had it welded into 400 foot thick in Skagway, and we developed a narrow gauge 
train, then delivered it on site by train. Okay, so that was you said you developed this train, so that was something that you basically assemb- assembled and built yourself on. Yep, correct. Okay, well, t- tell me about that portion of it. What did that require? So a little bit of ingenuity. We talked to some folks in the industry who, who gave us some insight from lessons learned with some of the standard gauge. Um, welded rail operations, and we just devised a significantly smaller scale, um, short, narrow gauge train. It was We fabricated it in-house. The racks were done in-house by our welding crews, and we loaded it in-house, um, moved them. In, uh, we did 16, like, 16 runs, 400 feet long, per train delivery. Okay, so then you lay down the rail, you, you weld it, or I'm sorry, you do cross ties first, right? Yep. Yep, it was uh, graded, um, cross ties, so we uh, laid the rail, and then we had a surfacing crew and ballast crew right there ready to go. Were cross ties delivered much the same method then than, that the rail was? Yeah, yeah uh, T-Rail, uh, Lisa, provided um, pre-plated narrow-gauge ties. So which expedited construction substantially. Okay. And so we delivered by flat by flat car pre-plated ties. They were safe on the ground. Okay. We used a couple excavators to place the rail, and then we had our spike machines and crews right behind it, tying it down, and then we had ballast trains stacked up behind it, and then followed by two tampers. Yeah. Okay. Talk about the, the weather, working with the weather and the elements. Obviously, you're doing this, you know, in the heart of the winter season, um, what kind of challenges did that bring? Uh, well, White Pass historically was it was a year-round freight railroad, but we haven't operated in the winter since 1982. So we had to relearn some lessons on how to deal with ice and avalanches and drifting snow. We had uh, railroad access from both sides of the project, up from Skagway and then from Fraser, British Columbia. And it was a bit of an effort. Um, the snow was luckily less than average, but the winds and drifting was fairly intense. So it was a concerted effort. We had crews dedicated just to maintaining rail access, which involved um, locomotives pushing snow. We had some D6 cats helping with some of the um, drifting in certain areas. It was a challenge that we ultimately won. It didn't seem to impede us. Too badly. We basically worked until we had diminishing gains. We were able to go until well into December before the weather just basically overtook the project, and we called it quits with grading and embankment and decided to come back in in April, in the spring, and um, finish the uh, track lane. And I'm sorry, you said you said you had a caterpillar uh, helping with the drifts. What was it, an excavator, or was it a wheel loader, or a dozer? What was that? Uh, a bulldozer, a D6 bulldozer. Okay. And, and you said at the very beginning of your of your answer there, you said that you had to kind of relearn some things. What what were what were the things that you had to relearn? Well, it had to do with mostly with with uh, equipment maintenance and freezing temperatures. Most of our stuff is designed for summertime operation. So having our you know mechanics reconfigure some of the internal heating units. Um, maintaining tunnels with uh, um, different different measures and means to maintain ice and tunnels, or minimum, sorry, reduce and minimize ice and tunnels. And then we had um, on-site avalanche monitoring and mitigation. 
Did you guys come across anything like that, like an avalanche or other than the drifts, the snow drifts? Were there anything more serious than the snow drifts that you, that you had to come up and deal with? Nope, it, it really was just uh, wind-driven snow that seemed to be their, their, the most trouble we had. And do you know what is the, usually what is the average snowfall for that area? You said it was below average, but what usually, how much snow do they usually get? Uh, well, right right now we have about 25 feet of snow at the summit. That's, that's probably about average um, okay. for this time of year. And we were well below, luckily we were well below half that during the, um, this particular project. And I believe, am I right when I say uh, that the crew that was working on this project had to stay up there and pretty much camp out up there? Or, or is, do I have it, do I, am I misunderstood there during this project? How did no. that work? Nope, that's true. We we had a camp up there with twelve people, and they were completely self-contained with um, a, a cook in a kitchen and television and Wi-Fi. And then our railroad crews were kept north and south of there to maintain logistics and supplies and to maintain rail access. So were these just like you just had cabins up there and stuff? Uh, well, they were ATCO-style construction trailers that we hauled in. They're about Okay. 12 feet wide, 55 feet long. We hauled them in on flat cars and set them up on the foundations at the project site. Have you ever been involved in a project like this? I mean, how? I mean, it's just it, this seems like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Uh, it's certainly unique for us. Um, I mean, we've done some major projects over the decades, but nothing that this concerted effort, especially that time of year. So how has it been, been going for you guys since everything's been put in place? Exceptionally well. It's um, smoothed out our operation. I mentioned it improves safety tremendously. It avoids a number of stops and starts and shove moves and air brake testing and employees going to the red zone. So it's, it's, it's safer, it's significantly faster, and it improves our uh, operating capacity. So it's, everyone's quite happy with it. It's a non-stop fluid motion as opposed to a bit of herky-jerky stop, stop and proceed type movements that we had in the past. Why do you Pastors think... appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, why do you think it took so long to, to construct this? Was it funding that was the main problem? I, you know, it really wasn't until these recent traffic upticks occurred to where we could justify it. I think with the expanded cruise ship traffic and what we saw on the horizon um, with our prime revenue sources that we decided it was time to pull the trigger on it. And ultimately, too, with we've just seen some demographic shifts with passengers. They prefer shorter tours. They want to do, be able to do more while they're um, in town, and this allows them to do just that. We get them back to town quicker, and they have more options to uh, explore Alaska and Yukon. And again, referring back to the nomination form, uh, it said that there was one instance of a weather-related issue where the crew was stuck on site for four days in December 2018 because of whiteout conditions. Huh? How did how did that go? You're right. The, the construction crew, yeah, we. it was four days. They were left there. They, they were well-provisioned, so they weren't any risk. Um, but we had to wait for a, a winter storm to pass before we um, regained access to the job site. And that was just a concerted effort with our section crews and train crews 
and a couple D6 bulldozers um, pushing through some heavy drifting to reestablish uh, um, supply chain lines. Was that the most severe event, uh, you think, during the project? Uh, in, yeah, I would say so, in terms of, of um, operational impediments, for sure. How cold does it get up there? Or during this project, how cold does it get up there? It got down to about minus 25, minus 30 Fahrenheit. So what, when that happens, or when that happens, how do you go about, you know, winterizing the equipment, making sure that they can start up the next morning? How did you go by that, about with that? Well, that's we were fortunate to work with Cobalt Construction at a Whitehorse, who has tremendous cold weather construction experience. And even simple things like trying to maintain, you know, fresh water supply to the camps. They they were had were well experienced and educated on how to how to do that efficiently without too much difficulty. But I uh, we were we were lucky to have a contractor who worked with us day to day and was involved with us in the early design process to guide us on how to do this effectively. And with their experience working in northern Yukon, that really paid off for this project. And how did you get uh, fresh water when it got to be that cold? Uh, we tapped into a nearby lake. We just yeah, we drilled through the uh, through the ice and just sucked fresh water out of the lake. Okay. Okay, and I know you had a, also you had a septic system that was also constructed, right? Yes. Yeah, but they, yeah, it was a holding tank, and uh, we would deliver it occasionally um, for offloading back in uh, Yukon. Well, Mark, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, again, I appreciate your time and, and your expertise, your insight, and uh, congratulations again. I mean, how's it feel to be recognized for the work that you guys did? Uh, it's a bit unexpected. I mean, we're, we're quite proud of it. It's a huge achievement from, um, for our crews and all the people that support us in Skagway. And, yeah, we're, we're quite excited that we'll still be some broader recognition. With, uh, we're, it's a great project. It'll be there forever. And we're happy to have our, our stamp on it for sure. I'm telling you, TV producers missed that opportunity. But we are certainly proud to name White Pass and Yukon Route Railroad Project as a railway track constructor's top project in 2020. We will be featuring all of our top projects in the May issue of RTNS Magazine. I'd like to thank Mark Taylor for making the interview possible. This is Bill Wilson, Editor-in-Chief of RTNS Magazine, and I will see you down the line. <laughs>